Thank you guys so much for leading us in worship. Um, that song, uh, Teach Me to Abide, this week I had the chance with uh, three of our church to travel to the country of Dubai um, in the United Arab Emirates and uh, to be with, with those that we, that we support, that we have sent um, as Southern Baptists to be able to bring the good news to uh, to the ends of the earth. And, and these workers, um, they, they work in a country in Central Asia and, in an incredibly difficult context. And to be in a room, um, to be able to, to preach God's word, we went through First Peter together this week, just walking through um, these, these fiery trials, the suffering that comes for the sake of being believers. And can I just tell you, I mean, like, there's this sense of like, I don't even know what I'm talking about in comparison to what they're going through. Um, that on a regular basis um, that, they're, that they're experiencing. And our brothers and sisters in Central Asia um, who at risk of their life have committed to following Christ. But then to be in a room with these workers um, and to sing, teach me to abide and, and just them just pouring out their hearts in worship. Can I just tell you one of the biggest takeaways for me is the gift that it is to gather as the body. I realize that we can so easily just go through the motions of what it means to gather as the church and it's about getting ready and being here on time and those sort of things, but don't let the joy, the joy of, of these moments, the gift of God that it is to be able to gather as the church and just to sit with one another, to open the word, uh, to sing praises and to sing loudly, um, you know, like not fearful that someone might hear and, 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 and come in and, and, and arrest us. Um, just the gift that it is, that same joy that characterizes the church in Central Asia should characterize us when we gather and the same love here um, and the same delight in his word here. And so I just wanna encourage you with that. Um, but I also want you to hear um, from one of those that you have sent and that you have commissioned. Um, you're gonna hear an audio clip. We can't, because of the security, we can't show faces, we can't say names, um, but this is uh, their, their leader, their team leader, um, just expressing appreciation to you. So just, uh, just listen in this moment to this message to you as a church. Hello, First Baptist New Orleans. I'm one of your Southern Baptist missionaries on the field here in Central Asia. We've been blessed to have some from your fellowship with us this last week that as we've met together as a team, as we've talked through strategy, as we've prayed for one another, as we've worshiped the Lord, as we've gone through the word of God and been encouraged and challenged and just well fed this last week. And so we just wanted to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts for allowing this group to come and minister to us. We're looking forward to ways we can continue to partner with your fellowship. It would not be possible for us to have a meeting like this in the context in which we live. We serve in a hard place that um, is very difficult uh, at times even to share the good news, much less talk about sharing the good news with one another. So we're grateful when we can come out to a place like this and talk about what God is doing in our location. You are a strategic partner of ours, and we are thankful for that. We thank you for your prayers. We're thankful for how you faithfully give and support our work and what God is doing in Central Asia. So thank you again for allowing this group to come and minister to us, to our children, to each of us individually. It's been such an encouragement to us, and we are once again excited and pumped up to get back into our country of service and continue to see what God is going to do. Thank you, First Baptist New Orleans. We appreciate you. 
So that's to you. Um, you are a church on mission and you are bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so I just wanna encourage you, keep going. Um, keep serving in these strategic ways, helping with the work. Um, what, you know, each of these things are in accordance with the strategies of those that we have commissioned and that are living um, in these contexts of how we can strategically help them. Not just what, what do we wanna do, but what do they need? What is it that they really strategically could use our help with? And that's what we're doing. So just continue to persevere in that. And I wanna pray for them um, right now in this moment as we transition to God's word. Father, thank you for this team that we had the joy of serving as a church this week. We know that we're not all able to go in every one of these contexts, Lord, but we together, God, desire to serve those that are on the front lines of bringing the good news to the ends of the earth. So God, for over this team in Central Asia, we just pray. We pray blessings. We pray with joy. God, thanking you for your calling on their lives. God, thank you first and foremost for your salvation in their lives, that, that they were dead in sin, but you, you saved them by your grace, Father, and raised them to new life in Christ. And part of the gift of that new life included living in a, in a hard place and, and of raising families in a hard place. And so, God, we pray thanking you, Father, for your blessing in their life, God, your presence with them. Um, and so we pray, Father, for just a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit to empower them for the work um, that they're called to, to persevere in the face of difficulty. And Father, we pray for the salvation of many in Central Asia. God, that you would pour out your spirit in these places where, where most people would look and say, we, we, we don't expect anything good to come from these places, Lord. That, that, that you would be pleased, Father, to show your grace, um, Father, to those who are far away to bring them into your family and to raise them up to be leaders in your church. Um, so, Father, please do all of these things, God. Give us the nations in such a way that only you receive the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So thank you for being a sending church. Thank you for being a church that is going on mission um, in all of these ways. Well, we do so in accordance with God's word. It's why we go. And, and it's important for us as we continue in our study of God's word. I'm so thankful for Jamie Dew. Um, we were able to, to, to tune in. We were nine hours ahead of you, but then uh, so last Sunday evening to be able to, to hop online. And so for you that are online, we say welcome. Thank you for prioritizing worshiping wherever you are um, right now and whatever has you unable to gather we welcome you and are thankful you're here in this moment. But to be able to continue to press through God's word and just that, that challenge from God's word that is so relevant. We need to hold in, in our memory in these moments all the things we've already walked through in 1 Timothy because 1 Timothy is a letter written to a, a, a young man by someone who was a father to him in the faith um, of encouraging him. And it really speaks a lot to what does a healthy church look like? And Paul reminds Timothy at the very beginning that a trustworthy saying, meaning like something you need to not forget, you need to keep your eyes on this, is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, and, and I'm the greatest of them, but, he, but he's reminding him that the, the evangelistic thrust of a church has gotta be held dead center on the reality of God's heart that he so loved the world that he gave his his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. You, you, we, we gotta hold that right in the crosshairs in order to rightly look at the world, um, to, to rightly engage in mission, is that that's the heart of God. That he delights to save sinners. Um, and he does this through this gospel that we proclaim. And so today, as we move into this passage in chapter five, it may seem like he's getting away from evangelistic focus. But instead, if we hold that tension that this is still about evangelism, what we'll see is what was true 
in the book of Acts when we see this initial calling of the seven. Um, they're not called deacons, but we think it was probably a deacon kind of ministry where they're called out to care for the exact audience that we're gonna talk about today about widows. And at the end of this little, this little story of the calling out of the seven, we see the result of the gospel going forward all the more. So these things aren't at odds, an evangelistic thrust and a focus on evangelism and caring for widows, that these things go together, that, that one becomes an apologetic for the other, um, that we, we proclaim Christ and we reveal that Christ is Lord in the way that we care for the least of these, and the way that we care for the least of these proclaims that Christ is Lord, um, it, that they go together. And so that needs to be the tension that we live in and hold together as the people of God today. And so I wanna invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, and today I'm going to be reading the first 16 verses of this passage on a message that's all about honor. Hear the word of the Lord. Don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters with all purity. Support widows who are genuinely in need. But if any widow, widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to practice godliness toward their own family first and to repay their parents, for this pleases God. The widow who is truly in need and left all alone has put her hope in God and, continue, and continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. However, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command this also so that they will be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow is to be enrolled on the list for support unless she is at least 60 years old, has been the wife of one husband and is well known for good works. That is, if she has brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the saints' feet, helped the afflicted and devoted herself to every good work but refuse to enroll younger widows for when they are drawn away from Christ by desire, they want to marry and will therefore receive condemnation because they have renounced their original pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle going from house to house. They are not only idle, but are also gossips and busybodies saying things that shouldn't be said. Therefore, I want every, therefore I want younger women to marry, have children, manage their households, and give the adversary no opportunity to accuse us. For some have already turned away to follow Satan. If any believing woman has widows in her own family, let her help them. Let the church not be burdened so that it can help widows in genuine need. Can we pray with me? Father, thank you for this passage that is so relevant to us today because your heart has not changed. And so God, thank you that what you are trying to do today is to bring us in accordance with your heart for the orphan, for the widow, for the, the resident alien among us. God, that has been your heart from days of old and remains your heart today. And it's part of what pure and lasting religion is. And so Lord, please bring us in accordance with your heart today to see those that are so often unseen, to care for those that are so often neglected so that you are glorified in your church and that the gospel of Jesus Christ continues to go forward. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. This passage today is all about honor. It's all about honor and we see that from the very first two verses. What, what Paul says to, to young Timothy is don't rebuke an older man. 
In other words, Timothy is a younger man. And so he's trying to train him that when you have to deal with difficulty, when you have somebody that's older than you, maybe that is stuck in their ways or is persisting in something that is not good, he says, rather than rebuking him, he says, exhort him as you would a father. The way he goes on is he says, then younger men as brothers. So this continued instruction to exhort, to encourage, to, to essentially bring up, you know, to bring alongside. In other words, he's not saying like, just preach at them. He's saying, encourage them in these, in these meaningful ways, plead with them in, in a direction to do the right thing. Older women as mothers and the younger women as sisters with all purity. Now this isn't, this final command, younger women with all purity is not casting a negative shadow on women, but instead putting a weight of responsibility on men who are in leadership in the church. That the way that they treat should be with all purity. In other words, they're responsible for the culture of how people are cared for, not being like the, the hypocrites that, that Jesus indicted in his own day, where he says, you, you love to go from house to house, praying on widows. He says, don't do that. Don't be like that, Timothy. Don't prey on, on these women. Instead, treat them as sisters with all purity. What has he just done? Father, mother, sister, brother. He's just put together a family. That's what he's communicating to Timothy, and that's what we need to remember today is that we are the family of God. Truly a family where there are fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers and we're called to honor the family of God and to do so in ways that demonstrate honor to each unique person. That there's gonna be ways that we encourage one another that are fitting for our age demographic, for how we relate to one another, but that it ought to be revealed when people look at us that we have that sort of a commitment to one another, a familial relationship, and then also that we have one father who is in heaven, who is over us all. That's an important part of, of our acknowledgement that we are the, the body, is that we have this one head, this one person that is head of household, and that is Jesus Christ, that he is over us as the body. And so therefore, if we are the body and he is saying that we're family, there ought to be a demonstration that we have one father who is God and father over all. So when we talk about that practically, let me just step aside for a second from the passage and just say that if you have difficulty in your own family, if you have broken relationships in your own family, if you have come from maybe parents that divorced or you come from a background of abuse or neglect, that those things are absolutely going to kind of color your understanding in this moment where I'm saying we are the family of God of kind of this, well, I know how family works. Just keep that a little bit, little bit of a distance because I'm not really interested in getting hurt like I did when I was a kid. I'm not really interested in, in, in seeing this thing fall apart. And so, you know, I'm just gonna kind of treat this as a, a little bit more uh, of a formal relationship. Sure, we can call each other sister and brother, but, but those are just gonna be some titles that we use and not the real thing. You know, it's important to, to acknowledge that, that many times the, what we experience in our childhood and what we experience growing up begins to really impact then how we come together as the people of God. And that's not an excuse to, to say, so therefore you're exempt from what God calls us to. 
But a lot of us struggle with this reality of like leaning into relationships in the church and we don't know why. I wanna encourage you, like that's part of the healing process is just sharing your story. One of the things that researchers have learned is that women in particular who have experienced the trauma of rape, that it's often the difficulty of telling the negative experience of telling and walking through the trauma of what happened to them that actually results in some of the greatest healing on the other side. It's not what a person can do for them or or that a person fixes them. It's that a person enters into the suffering with them, shedding tears with them, crying with those who cry, weeping with those who weep. And that that actually becomes part of the healing. And so I just wanna encourage you to have that sort of trust with one another. Now, obviously you may not wanna stand up in front of a whole room of people and, and put everything on the line, but I encourage you in smaller clusters to lean into the family relationship that we have in Christ and be willing to share about the hurts that you grew up with. And let this community be, be part of your own healing journey and honor and love one another in that way. So honor the family of God Paul says, and then he enters into, for the rest of chapter five, into into specific groups that we're to honor. And so the only other group that we're gonna talk about today is this group called widows. And and the main takeaway is that we are to honor genuine widows in the family of God. Uh, The rest of this passage, verses three through 16, unfolds in this way, helping us to understand this. Now, it's important for you to know that all the way back from the Old Testament, we see God as he begins to to form this community called Israel and and to communicate to them how he wants people treated in the law. And so when you look back at the first five books of the Bible, especially as you get into books like Leviticus and Deuteronomy that really put things on display of, of law codes and how he wants people treated, God is putting on display over and over again his concern for the most vulnerable among us. That, that when he's talking about the people of God, he's saying that widows are to be cared for, orphans are to be cared for, and the resident alien. In other words, people that have come in and kind of taken up residence with you from other countries, other peoples, but that are committing to following Jesus Christ. I mean, not following Jesus Christ, but following Yahweh in the Old Testament, that you are to receive them into the community and care for them. And so there's this consistency of calls from God. In fact, when then you get into the prophets and he begins to indict his people, for, for how their hearts are far from him, he essentially says, and I'll prove it to you. You don't care about widows. I'll prove it to you. You don't care about orphans. I'll prove it to you. You don't care about the resident alien among you. That's part of the problem. That's the proof that your heart is far from me. Sure, 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 you're showing up for worship. Sure, 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 you're making the sacrifice at this scheduled time, but your hearts are far from me. And here's the proof. You don't care for the things that I care for. And so then when we move into the gospels and we look at Jesus Christ and it's Jesus again and again that's using examples of widows in order to teach his own disciples what it means to worship the Lord. He looks at the widow who gives a widow's might. When I was in Israel this past uh, January, I had the chance at one of the stores to actually see the widow's might and to hold it in my hand. And it almost felt like I wasn't holding anything. It was that thin, it was that you know, meaningless of a coin that when she tossed it in, it wouldn't have been heard. You know, like there's some coins that when they hit each other, you hear the ching, 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 you know, sound and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's what everybody else was doing. They wanna be sure that, you know, they had lots and lots of coins so that everybody could see how much they were giving. But when that widow came by and she tossed in that widow's might, 
No sound was heard, but there was an eruption in heaven and Jesus Christ himself entering into that praise because she's given more than everyone else because she gave all that she had to live on. He commends the widow. Jesus then goes back in the Old Testament. He takes the widow at Zarephath that's recorded in 1 Kings and he, and, he, and he puts her on display, reminding them that it wasn't to any of the widows in Israel that God sent his prophet, but to one as an outsider because God cares for the widow and the orphan and the resident alien. God's heart constantly on display. And then when we enter into the formation of the early church, as I mentioned already a moment ago, we see that one of the early tensions in the church, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter seven, is this dispute that arose among, among the, the Hellenistic and the Hebraic Jews. And, and, and there's this tension going on of like, well, you know, the Jewish widows are getting more than the Gentile widows or the Gentile widows are getting overlooked, you know, and then there's this tension. And so what do they do? The apostles, because they need to devote themselves to the prayer and the preaching of the word, they decide to, to set aside some to, to wait on tables, literally to make sure that everybody gets fed to make sure that no one gets overlooked and they devote themselves to this task. And as that passage ends in Acts, it, it communicates the beauty. I, and I said Acts chapter seven, I think it's Acts chapter six. Acts chapter six, where then there's this beauty of the gospel going forward. And it says that even some of the priests became obedient to the faith. I mean, it had such an impact when the church was being obedient to God's heart for the widow that people that were very resistant to believing the gospel are now being drawn to this gospel message because they see the priority of God's heart on display. What, what if the church right now in the US is so unattractive because it's so unlike the heart of God? What, what if that's part of the problem is the heart of God isn't on display but instead hearts that are, are bound more toward a, a love for material things and a love for comfort and, and a love just for our program of interest, what we wanna be part of and enjoy doing, rather than the heart of God. So understand this passage is written that we might put on display the heart of God and honor genuine widows in the family of God because that's been his heart all along. And here it is in this passage today. Now, it's interesting in verse three, is open up, it says, support widows who are genuinely in need. In the Greek, it actually says, you know, honor widows or take care of widows who are truly widows. And it's kind of this like, well, what, what does this mean? What, what, what is he getting at that are truly widows? Does that mean like they, they faked their husband's death or something? Like, is it, what are we talking about here? And, and the idea of widow literally meant and, and no, no, no assistance no help, someone who had no one to support them. And that's God's heart is he's concerned for, for that widow that has no one to care for them, no family, no one to help meet her needs and to provide for her. And she has put her hope in God and in God alone. So Paul is concerned that in the body that we honor genuine widows in the family of God. And that's important because he wants to qualify why that is. It's not just because he's trying to be stingy with the money and say, well, you know, I just, I really want, you know, to see some W-2s around here uh, before we, we actually start helping people. I really want to see bottom line numbers. No, the reason is much better. The reason is discipleship because he knows that there's a blessing for you and I when we first and foremost honor the Lord in caring for widows in our own families. 
Notice what he says. He he says, honor widows by promoting godliness in her family. Verses three through eight puts this on display, beginning in verse four. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to practice godliness toward their own family first and to repay their parents for this pleases God. The widow who is truly in need and left all alone has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. However, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command this also so that they will be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I mean, listen to what he's just said. If you don't do this, you have denied the faith that you may say Jesus is Lord, but if you turn your, your, your back on your own mother or your own grandmother and keep saying, oh, Jesus is Lord, but I don't care about this person. I've written them off for whatever reason. He doesn't give you the out here. Then you're worse than an unbeliever. Meaning like you're worse because you're actually saying Jesus is Lord but then living in opposition to his lordship. That, that's worse than saying, I, I don't believe Jesus is Lord. That's how serious this is. And so what does it look like? Well, it looks like it starts at home. It looks like it starts with Thanksgiving. It looks like it starts with rekindling relationships maybe that you've given some distance to, to really looking at who's in need in my own family. Now, obviously we live in in times and in a day when there is more generational wealth passed down from one generation to the next than ever in human history. Just these, these transfers of wealth. And so we can look and say, you know, like that may not always be the need that every widow needs to receive assistance from a church or even from her own family. And I say, that's right. And Paul would probably have entered in if he was speaking to us today and to say, that's exactly my point is that the church doesn't need to be burdened with helping every widow, but that there are gonna be instances when there is no one in her life to care for her. But if there are children in her family, then listen, so that's you in this room. If you have a mother that's still living, if you have a grandmother, then it is imperative. It's upon your life to care for them until they take their last breath. You say, well, Chad, what does that mean? Does that mean I need to send a certain dollar amount each month? Maybe. Chad, does that mean I need to open up my home and let them come live with me? Maybe. Paul doesn't move into the specifics here with us. But you need to concern yourself with asking the question, what does it look like in my life? Lord, will you lead us in understanding what this means? You say, well, Chad, does that mean like is, is, uh, you know, placing a, a parent in a nursing home or an assisted living, does that mean that I'm wrong to not move them into my home? Maybe. Every situation is going to be different. Every, every one of these unique things, the health needs, the medical needs, the, the limitations of space and time, I mean, like, all these things are complexities that sometimes we just want the simplicity of rules of like, you know, maximum amounts of contribution of exactly what's being asked, all that. But Paul doesn't let that happen in this moment. Instead, he invites you, invites you into the tension of saying, Lord, whatever it means, yes. Lord, whatever it means to live this godliness of honoring my mother or my grandmother, yes, 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 God, because Jesus is Lord. 
I know this is a tension and it's a part of a tension because people in the US are living longer than ever before. And so we're having to enter into these new dynamics of like, what do I do with an aging parent who perhaps is even into their mid nineties or older? Like, you know, these, these new tough dynamics, I realize it, but there's the simplicity, right? Of the call on your life and mine to first and foremost, put our, our faith into action with our very own family lest we become even worse than an unbeliever. So Paul knows this is a discipleship moment. This is how the body of Christ learns to be godly is by caring for their own family first, especially their own household. Now, generations used to live together more frequently than we experience here in the West. But even if you just travel across the ocean and you go to Africa or you go to Central Asia or Asia, you quickly begin to see generations living together. And so this would have meant something to them. They would have known exactly what it was saying, that it starts with us. But then there's instances that he moves us into where there are going to be widows who have no children. There are going to be widows that have no grandchildren to care for them that literally are only looking to God for daily provision. And he says, no widow is to be enrolled on the list for support unless she is at least 60 years old, has been the wife of one husband and is well known for good works. That is, if she has brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the the saints' feet, helped the afflicted and devoted herself to every good work. What he's doing here is he's honoring widows by promoting godliness in her life. He's speaking specifically to, to these women and saying there ought to be a godliness that characterizes their lives if you're going to enroll them on this list, if they're going to be the official group that receives support on a regular basis from the church, then let them be godly. This is a lesson in godliness for us. Now, let me just ask you real fast, you know, because sometimes we think, you know, that once I get to a certain season, then I'll just switch, you know, flip on the switch and then I'll become all these things. That's not what Paul says. He says their life has been characterized by these things. So if you're, if you're here today and you're like, well, what does godliness look like? Well, Paul says right here, he says that godliness looks like this, bringing up children, caring for your family, showing hospitality, washing the saints' feet, literally serving, helping the afflicted, caring for those in prison. You know, think that when you think about affliction and devoting herself to every good work. That's the life that's well-lived, Paul says. That's the life that every woman and every man in this room should be pursuing, a life that looks like that, that is devoted to the things of God. Because these are the things that characterize godliness that Paul says, these these women who have looked only to the Lord for provision should now experience his provision through the church. But then we get into this interesting passage in verse 11 down through the end of the passage where it seems to be kind of like contradicting, where it seems to even kind of fall back in on itself. It's it's kind of reading it. Notice what it says, but refuse to enroll younger widows for when they are drawn away from Christ by desire, they wanna marry. Now, if you're just reading that like me, I read that and I'm like, so he doesn't want widows to remarry. Okay, so like that, right? I mean, is that kind of like, you know, a first take, you know? He's like, you know, they need to stay single. And, 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 and this is almost like this bad desire to marry. And, and then verse 12, and will therefore receive condemnation. So now it's getting like serious because they have renounced their original pledge. 
And, and so you're like, wow, okay, so like remarriage is like really bad. It, it can result in condemnation and all these kind of things. And then he says at the same time, and he kind of explains in verse 13, some of the negative implications of, of what's going on. They learn to be idle, going from house to house, not only idle, gossips, busybodies, saying things they shouldn't. And then notice what he says in verse 14, therefore I want younger women to marry. Well, which is it? I don't want them to marry or I do want them to marry. So I mean, like, if we're kind of entering into this kind of like, you know, confusion, welcome to the, to the class, you know, like, and, and listen, for as many scholars as there are, there's some perspectives on this passage of like, what exactly is going on here? How do we unravel this? And I think that of all that I read this week, you know, in preparation for today, I really gravitated to the explanation that one New Testament scholar gave. His name is Philip Towner. He wrote a commentary on the pastoral epistles. And, and what he notes here is that what is most likely, what, what's the easiest explanation of the difficulty of this text is that it's talking about marrying an unbeliever. That, that, that what's being held here is that you've got a younger wife who has lost her husband and she's being tempted to marry a guy, perhaps with money, that's got an estate, all these kind of things, but he's not a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul speaks with great clarity about that, about the danger of being unequally yoked because if I'm pulling in this direction and, and my spouse is pulling in this direction, we're just gonna be pulling at each other and it's gonna hurt our marriage. He says, you know, sometimes that happens. You know, like one of you, both of you are unbelievers and only one of you becomes a follower of Christ. And he, and he communicates, hey, win your spouse over by your good works. You know, like be, be, be evangelistic through your actions in your own marriage. But there's gonna be this instance where there's this younger wife who loses her husband and, he's, and that's why he's cautioning her. He's saying, don't take the bait I know it looks like a good life where you'll be provided for and you'll have the protection and the security, but it's gonna pull you away from your original pledge to Jesus Christ as Lord. That, that's how this works. That's the danger of being unequally yoked. Can I just tell you real fast application? If you're a single adult, whether, whether you're by, by, by losing a spouse or you just never married, if you become unequally yoked, you're gonna be pulling in different directions and what Paul is saying is you're very likely to enter into this space where you go back on your original pledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's seen it happen too many times. He knows that it's true. And so he cautions here against it. And that's why he communicates about younger women wanting to marry and have children in households and to give the adversary no opportunity to accuse us. For some have already turned away to follow Satan. See what he's saying? Like some have, they were going in the direction of Christ and now they've turned away to go and follow Satan because of a love for wealth and provision. And he's saying, so therefore widows in true need need to be provided by the church, to be cared for by the church, to experience his provision, his care, his protection by the church. And so he wants to see this faith persist. And he does it in these real specific ways of communicating, but refuse to enroll younger widows for when they are drawn away from Christ by desire, they want to marry and will therefore receive condemnation because they have renounced their original pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle going from house to house. And they are not only idle, but are gossips and busybodies saying things that shouldn't be said. Quick reminder from this passage is the importance of your words. You are responsible and will be accountable before God for your words. Gossip being the, 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 the propagation of, of falsehoods. I mean, some of us 
you know, like just have this bent toward, toward, you know, like wanting to be in the know. I mean, we're like Michael Scott from the office, you know, just wanting to, that early gossip to then spread, you know, to other people so that we have a place of importance. We need to be mindful that that is how the evil one wants to work is just through the slander, through the, the busybodying, through the communication that just kind of weeds its way through the body and chokes us out and makes us unfruitful. And so notice he's pointing toward, no, be busy with your hands. I mean, the only way I know how to wash somebody's feet is with my hands. The only way I know how to serve is with my hands. And that's how the body has been intended to be, is for us to serve in these ways. As he goes on, he says, if any unbelieving woman has widows in her family, let her help them. Let the church not be burdened so that it can help widows in genuine need. That same idea, true widows, those who truly have no one. You know, let me just tell you, like take you behind the scenes because I realize that not everyone in our church is part of our deacon ministry, but we have deacons in our church that currently are serving on a regular basis in teams to help take care of the body. And they're doing that in different ways, trying to use their gifts or their interests to help take care of the body. But one of our teams of our deacon ministry is devoted to caring for widows. And, and, and what they're doing is trying to make sure that there is not one person among us who is needy, that, that there's not one person among us who's been forgotten. And many of those widows, you may even be watching from home, I want you to know how loved you are by the body and the priority that you are to this body in care. I, I love this, this team who's led by Philip Peavy. Um, uh, Philip, are you in this room right now? Seeing here? get him to raise his hand if he was. He leads this team. And as I've had the chance to interact with some of the widows in our church, to hear some of the thoughtful things that this group of deacons is doing and their wives to help take care of them, to serve them, the thoughtful things. In fact, I was visiting one of our members who's been a member of this church for over 60 years. I mean, just think about that. That's longer than, than I've been alive. She's been a faithful member, Miss Margie Lee of this body. As I went to go visit her in her home, she said, yes, Philip was actually just here and brought me flowers for Mother's Day. How sweet, how kind, how thoughtful for her to know that she's not been forgotten by her church family, even though she herself is unable to, to be able to get up on a Sunday morning and to come and to worship. First half is you're doing that, but what we need to do is we need to do it all the more. I'm so thankful the other day we had a group of, 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 of young adults over in our home on a Wednesday night. And as we were sitting there and talking about specific ways of like service in the body, um, it was kind of like unearthed in that moment that there were some that had like a, a, a joy and a passion for baking, um, that they loved to be in the kitchen and make baked goods and all that. And so right then we enter into this conversation of why don't we get together and do some baking and involve some of our students from our student ministry and then go out and deliver baking goods to, to widows in our church. And there was nothing but pure joy at the thought of doing that. You see, so many times it, it, the, it's the youth, it's the young adults in a church that are so motivated to do these things. And honestly, if you're one of those adults, lead out. Don't wait. Don't wait on someone older than you to get the ball rolling. You may be the catalyst for the kind of worship that God is putting on display here in this passage that ought to characterize us today. But then as we go across the ocean and we go to places like Central Asia, 
It's often these sort of paradigms of care. In fact, you even go all the way back in Christian history, and it was often this sort of care for the most marginalized, for the babies thrown on trash heaps and then rescued and cared for, for the widows that at sacrifice of their own bread were provided for so they could eat. It was that sort of living that was often the greatest apologetic, the greatest defense of the faith in the first and second century. And brothers and sisters, it's gonna be the same in the 21st century. That it is our love, our sacrifice, our prioritize of care for the most marginalized, the most vulnerable, the most easily forgotten in our society. And so may it be here at First Baptist that widows are cared for because this is the gospel of Jesus Christ on display. This is the love of God. This is his heart that we are to reveal in our living. But this passage, first and foremost, right out of the gate, calls us to response. And so today, this is a room probably of 99% of people who say Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm just gonna ask you, are you revealing it in accordance with this word? I know you're saying it with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, but how is your mom? How is your grandmother? Is the love of God on display in your life for them? Are you caring for them in meaningful and thoughtful ways? Are you prioritizing their care? Are they struggling financially? God's word says, then worship today starts with a call to her. Worship today starts with maybe realigning your budget so that you can begin to support and to take some of the pressure off because her social security just doesn't go as far as it used to. All of those sort of things become how we worship in this room today. Some of you may need to just come and to kneel at these steps in this moment and just confess to God that your heart has not been revealing his heart for your own family. And it may be because like I said earlier, you've got some deep wounds, some deep hurts. So you're like, yeah, but you don't know my mom. You don't know our relationship. You don't know how difficult, I get it, I get it. But the Lord doesn't give us that out and it's not because he doesn't love you, it's because he does. And he's calling you into experience godliness. See, godliness is about what his spirit does in us and through us that's not us. You say, man, I just, I don't have it in me. That's right, but he does. For he so loved the difficult that he gave his one and only son in order to bring them into his family forever. So if he loved the worst sinner, that Paul says that he is, that he has a love for your mom or grandmother that surpasses any difficulty of relationship and he desires to bring healing in your life through obedience. He does. But you may need to just come and be honest, God, this one's gonna be hard. I'd much rather obey in some other way. I'd rather give money to a cause or anything Lord, this, this, one's, this one's tough. I'm gonna need you. He delights for you to enter into that space of saying, Lord, I depend on you. That's what we sang earlier. I depend on you. May you be found faithfully depending on him for obedience in this passage. Father, thank you for today. I pray that as we worship with this song, that it would not just be that last part of the service before we get to the announcements and the conclusion, all that, Lord, but this would be truly a moment of surrender to you where we say, yes, God, I will obey your word, whatever you desire it to look like in my life. I will prioritize caring for my own family. 
So Lord, for those that that's difficult for today, may you meet them according to your power, the riches that are theirs in Christ Jesus to be obedient to your word. May there not be one of us today that leave having given an excuse for why this passage wasn't for us. But may we all together lean in. And Father, for those that no longer have a mother, a living mother, a living grandmother, may they look around even this room today and see their family and to see mothers and grandmothers who are worthy of your care, who are receiving your love. And may you continue to increase our love for one another in the family. And I invite you all to stand. If you're here today and you are hearing us talk about how we're supposed to love one another and you're like, that sort of a family dynamic is what I'm hungry for. I want you to know it starts with you becoming a child of God through faith in Jesus. I'd love to tell you more about what it means to come into the family of God. And I'll be standing right here and would love to pray with you. But every one of us, let us respond prayerfully to God's word this morning.